Hello, John. So Hi, happy Susan. to have you here. Um, I am with John Chow. Am I pronouncing that correctly, John? Okay. Yes, you are. Um, and as an introduction, I'm just going to let you know that, um, well, first of all, John is all heart. Okay, I've had the opportunity to just speak with him at length, actually quite a while ago. And um, we really had a great discussion. And just from the little that I know, John, and, and I'm going to get to know him a lot more during this discussion, as you will too, as we take you along um, with us. Um, but he is he's a very special person, very special man, and he has a very special calling. And um, it's different. It's a different calling than I've, I've come across since I've been doing this. John considers himself to be a radical encourager and a change maker. Being an Enneagram 2, which is a personality type, he finds his calling helping other people achieve their goals. John believes that when we feel stuck, the most helpful thing often is having a different perspective. So he has a podcast called Perspective Maintenance, because if we can get unstuck, then we can also help others get unstuck. And how true is that? So how did this all begin for you? I have, um, I've had the wonderful opportunity to have an upbringing with very nurturing people around me. And um, a really big component of my upbringing is that my, um, my family moved from Taiwan to Canada when I was around seven. And the arrangement between my parents was that because my dad had a very successful business in Taiwan, if he were to leave that to come here, the opportunities for work would not be the same. So he decided to predominantly live and stay in Taiwan to work. And he would come and see us about three or four times a year. And then my mom was in Canada with us to raise us. So, so I'm curious then, why, why did you go to, decide to go to Canada with your mother? What, why did that change take place? Well, the idea was that the whole family was immigrating and that eventually- Oh, I understand. Would, yeah, that my dad would immigrate with us, but for uh, a period of time, he wanted to be able to keep working as a way to provide for us mm -hmm. while he had the opportunity to in Taiwan. Okay. And that meant that I grew up with my mom around a lot more than my dad. And my mom's very nurturing. And I've also been very thankful to be in a community where there were lots of other people that I had almost as other parents. And I think just my own personality, I tend to really engage well with people who communicate well, who are nurturing, mm. who are caring. And so I've had a lot of, let's say, big sisters or second mothers or second grandmothers um, mm. in my life, because these were the people in the community that I just attached myself with more and more. So a lot of my character and ability is really in line with uh, communicating, understanding and supporting women. It just kind of naturally happened. Hmm. And, um, it's something that I feel very blessed with the ability to right now, um, which is why the idea of helping people get unstuck and being myself a very helpful or nurturing person, I think that got nurtured into me. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it did. So 
your mother had a, a community there for her or did she have to grow into that? So we were very thankful. Um, the community that we belonged with uh, when we were in Taiwan, there was enough people who had immigrated to okay. um, Canada that there was um, a, a small community to come into. And then, of course, people meet each other. And so the community grew. So it's not like we were all alone, which is very mm -hmm. fortunate. We had a sure. base of people to um to connect with and because we were obviously um all new then we we clung to each other that much more oh, and it was very much like people being in each other's houses now my parents uh, we grew up as or my parents were leaders of the community and still are in different ways so growing up oftentimes when people would visit from other countries then um i would have to give up my bedroom because i would be the <laughs> guest room for people uh -huh. to stay in and we constantly had people in our house. There were periods of time where we'd had people, other families live in our home for an extended period of time because they were new immigrants and they had to get themselves established over time. Mm -hmm. So I just was brought up in a very communal sense where we were always looking out for other people. Sure. Wow. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that. I'm from a large family. So in a sense, you have that. And there must have been so much conversation and liveliness and, you know, good times. You were a happy, a happy boy. Oh, yeah, very much so. I think a little bit too happy-go-lucky. I was... <laughs> I consider myself very much a late bloomer. I was very oblivious when I was a kid. I would just do whatever and not think about anything. Um, I think I was just too happy-go-lucky. <laughs> and so huh. in, a, in a sense, I had to develop different cognitive or discerning um, abilities to be able to be somebody who um, analyzed things a little bit mm. more. And it was something that I think got developed over time, even in general. So for example, I'm a, I'm a younger sibling. So I have an older brother and a very high tendency of younger siblings is we don't typically like what we like. We like what the older sibling likes. That's, That's right. just the way that we are. So my, my sense of identity or self wasn't really established or developed until I was in my late teens or early twenties, because yeah. so much of me was just very others oriented. Yeah. Although it's very positive that I have this caring nature and it's good for other people, the downside of that is that I was too others oriented and not self-focused enough for mm -hmm. me to know who I am, what my mm -hmm. preferences are, what my opinion of different things are, how I'm going to do things differently. And mm -hmm. so I kind of had a rude awakening when I went to college to be like, wow, who, who do I want to be? What do I care about? What are the, what's the life that I'm going to live? And that brought me down a very long journey to where I am today, where mm -hmm. I've developed different insights and just been able to be somebody who can help other people do inner work because I've gone through the journey of that much later in life than compared to others where they were thinking about that in their teenage years, whatever that mm -hmm. might be. That's very interesting. And maybe part of that <clears throat> was because you emigrated and you did you maybe cling to your mother a little bit more because of that? Or it was not so? Not as much. I think I, I clung to people more. So okay. I almost attached myself from my mother because she was not able to help me in this new society, hmm. in this new world where I had to learn a new language, I had to learn a new social norm. So here's a great example. In the Asian culture, in the school system, the most popular kids in school were the people who had the highest grades. 
And then usually the ones who are the class clown or the whatever, they were considered the degen degenerates. Yeah, they were and covering so, something up. <laughs> yeah, so the cool kids in Asia are all the best students. Mm -hmm. they're, they're the academia, the academics. So, but then growing up in North America, it's not the same. The kids with the best mm. grades are oftentimes considered to be the nerds or different people socially less prominent than the Isn't cool kids. So interesting. And so when I was growing up, all I did was spend time on, on MSN or talking to people. And my mom's like, she just didn't get it. She's like, John, why don't you just study harder? People will like you because that was the way that. Right. That was the culture. Right. Correct. Yeah. But in this culture, that doesn't cut it. So me having good grades does not help me with my social connections. So mm. I disconnected myself from my mom a lot because I needed to form my own understanding of how this current society works because although she lives in the country she doesn't she doesn't involve herself mm -hmm. in the local community she's still very much in her immigrant community mm -hmm. which, but I had to grow up in the local cultures community so which wow. was hard at one point but it really also now gives me not just intergenerational understanding but cross-cultural understanding as well wow that's that's amazing so how did you do in school how was it for you in school? It was, with those, hmm? it was challenging. I, I spent yeah. way too much time trying to make friends and to be um, get people's approval that I didn't bother to take care of my grades. So another mm -hmm. way that I'm a late bloomer is that intellectually I'm, I'm a later bloomer. I never cared about or showed interest in school because that didn't get me what I ultimately desired, which was belongingness. And it was only which every child wants. Yes. Regardless of what culture you're in, in your Asian culture, you had belonging because you would get good grades. Yes. And that just made you part of the community. And and yeah, that must have been, I could see that being a really challenge. And as I'm listening to you, I'm having a hard time even wrapping my head around that because I can see how that is so true in, this, in the local schools that my grandchildren go to or the schools that I raised my children in. And you're right how the, the, um, the students that were into their, their studies and their grades, they were nerds and they could be outcasts, you know? And um, yeah, it's so different. You were mm -hmm. never bullied, were you? Were you ever bullied? Oh, a lot. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. And so it was one of, and, and this is why I really appreciate your heart for your podcast, because it's about learning how to tackle and navigate transitions. And I think the more we learn, the more opportunities we've had to do that in the past, the more skilled we are at navigating transitions in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of why I feel quite equipped into helping people with the transitions that they're going through. And before we recorded, we were talking about a conversation I had with my mom about helping her through a transition yeah. as well, mm. because I've personally had to go through so much transitions myself, transitions from one culture to another, from one identity to another, mm. from even um, being somebody who didn't understand himself to being somebody who does from me not knowing what I want to do in school. So I studied life sciences because that's what my parents wanted me to do. But then I actually ended up working in the fashion industry. 
from you know working in the fashion industry to now working in the inner work and personal development space mm -hmm. and so there's so many transitions that have happened and mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when we feel very comfortable in one identity and we think that that identity is exactly who we are then we either don't provide room for us ourselves to grow or two we create resistance when the mm -hmm. opportunity to grow comes along and mm -hmm. we pass it on we don't want to embrace that transition mm -hmm. um so i really admire your desire to talk about transition because the more we have conversations and the more people hear different stories like people get to hear a little bit about mine right now yeah. although they may not identify with the circumstances because they didn't have to go through that and they're also they may not be a male or they may not be asian but the themes of transitions yeah. are very transferable between different people yeah yeah very very uh very insightful and my thought was that when you go through transitions whether you're young you know teenager older person and even though you have community around you or the support of people, it's really, it comes down to, as far as I can see it, that you are in this within yourself. And I don't know if alone is the right word, but you can have all the support of everyone around you. You can have the love. But what I have found in my transitions is I am in this with myself. Yes. And that is the most important thing. Now I can receive guidance from others mm -hmm. and I can choose or not choose to follow that guidance. And that's where the resistance comes in. And when you're making changes because you wholeheartedly want to and feel you need to in whatever particular time in your life, that is, it's very difficult to do, as you know. Um, yes. And the resistance can be so strong. And I'm sure with what you do, you are helping, and you work mostly with women, and you are helping them navigate that resistance, you know? And that's so important to be able to do that because it's that proverbial stepping out of your comfort zone. And I even still sometimes say to myself, why don't you just stay in retirement? Why don't you just sit and read your books and watch your TV? And But I know for myself, it's because I want personal growth. I want to be in touch with me and who I am. And in turn, I can then be in touch with other people and mm -hmm. give to other people what I am learning. I mean, it's just like a, a, a totally different trajectory for me. So... I'm just so happy that you are in that community helping, helping women, empowering yes. women. Now, do and, you know of many other men that you can think of that do the same thing that you do? It's usually women that, that take on this role. So it's very interesting. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with comfort level. And I am very fortunate to have grown up and also personally, as, as you probably um, have shared with others before, we all have masculine and feminine energy inside of mm -hmm. us. Absolutely. And a lot of the times what happens, and I grew up in this kind of very mass men shaming men kind of society that, mm -hmm. so essentially 
as boys, we are encouraged to have certain traits and less encouraged to have other traits. So for example, expressing emotions is not something that we're encouraged mm. to do. So then boys get shamed to, mm -hmm. and then by being shamed, they stop doing that and mm -hmm. they show aggression or something like that. And that's encouraged. And I had always been, I, I grew up, I cried a lot. Mm. And I think because my mom was my primary caregiver, she let me express my emotions a lot. And I had more opportunities to be in touch with my emotions than typically. And I'll, but also that meant that I didn't get along with a lot of the boys at school because uh, they would bully me. And mm. so I ended up having way more female friends than I did male friends. And that also meant that I had an opportunity to uh, understand and communicate and develop skill sets where I get along with women much easier mm. than I do with men sometimes. Mm. Very ironically, my brother and I are the opposite. He's very much the, he watches all the sports. He does all the typical guy things. And I have very little interest in any of that. And I would much rather have a more quiet one-on-one -on -one conversation, get to know somebody, have something meaningful, or mm -hmm. I'm you know, a little bit more artistic. That's why I got into fashion. I care about these things. And so it naturally led me to, um, to be this kind of person. And in one sense, my, um, my previous relationships, my, my ex-girlfriends were all very grateful that I've had these qualities because they're some things that are very important for later on in life. And, um, but it allows me now to be in this space where I can know, I can know how to listen to women, mm -hmm. hold space for them, allow them to be seen because it's usually the lack of being seen that mm -hmm. causes there to be less confidence in order to know how to step into the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. There's already enough disadvantageousness that women go through because from so young, they are told to be in a box. They are told mm -hmm. to stay quiet. They are mm -hmm. told to not take up space. They are told to be, you know, be, um, be, be good, so not, <laughs> be good to fit into this mold. And so, oh, you, you shouldn't be an engineer. You shouldn't try to do this. That's not what girls are supposed to do. So, of course, transitions is something that women are not used to doing because they're always meant to be held down somehow. And mm -hmm. even systematic structures like the fashion industry we were talking about in, in a previous conversation all limit women somehow. And so from my experience, any human being, in order for them to feel like they have the belief in themselves that they can actually change, because you said something that was very insightful just now, you said the only person who can help you change is you. It is a very lonely journey. You're the only one who can make that decision. You're the only one who can make those steps and move in that direction. Everybody around you can encourage you as much as possible, but that may not work. And mm -hmm. so I have really taken the time to, because I love seeing other people flourish mm. and get unstuck and really find themselves and find their voice and come into their calling just like you are. Because, you know, even right now we're talking about this, you have a big smile on your face because <laughs> the feeling of fulfillment that comes from doing yeah. what you feel called to do, it's unlike anything else. It's and true. we all we all need support in our life mm -hmm. to become that person. And it just brings me a lot of joy to be able to be that for people. That's wonderful. I want to circle back and just thank your mother for giving you the space that you needed to oh, express yes. your emotions because you weren't able to do that outside of the home. And wow, 
you know, you were very fortunate to have that. And I'm sure you know that. Now, growing up, did you get along with your brother or, or did the, the difference in personality really cause a, a riff or you just managed to get along or how did well, that I think play out? One of the biggest issues was that we had a larger age gap. We had a five-year age gap. Okay. And so cognitively, as I was developing, I was always so much more behind him. Mm -hmm. This is kind of an interesting uh, dynamic or fact about my brother and I. We've never physically fought. And that's very rare because most brothers have wrestled or something like that. But we've never done any of that because my mom had always told my brother, oh, John's too small because we were mm -hmm. so far in age gap that we never had that. So my brother and I would fight verbally and um, I would, he, because I was less cognitively developed, he would make me confused by my own words. And then I would end up crying. And there was a lot of crying when I was a kid, um, that's, but that's there, okay. it, it's one yeah. of those things where we, even till this day, there's a little bit of a rift between us because we're such different people. Mm -hmm. But I think now that he's more matured, he's seeing the different skill sets and, and values and growth in personal development. And so he's becoming more interested in what I'm interested in, whereas I never really got interested in what he was interested in because I don't really care about sports or other things yeah, like that that yeah. don't really mean a lot to me. Um, so I think in our older age, we're closer now than we were when we were younger. And that's totally okay as well. That and that happens, of, that happens oftentimes. You yes. become closer as adults. Exactly. You, you learn some things. Yeah, now, that's interesting because I raised three sons and it's interesting that you say you never like would wrestle it out. And my um, two older sons who are closer in age, um, there's a bigger gap between the second and the third. They never wrestled it out. But if there were words, words can be more frustrating, I think, than wrestling something out. 100%. So I think I could see that it would create this pent up uh, angst or and you said the word confusion and that's something I never even considered and that may have happened you know the two with the younger of the two you know yeah very interesting those mm -hmm. dynamics yeah. right I know I think people are fascinating and that's why I've really spent the time in the last I would say decade or 15 years to understanding people and whether that is through working in retail and, and just seeing the different kinds of people who come in to working in the corporate world and seeing how people operate in teams and hierarchies and mm -hmm. being involved in different religious groups and just seeing how different people are motivated by different things, understanding people and what causes them to be who they are is really, really important. And then it's that much more important also when we're in a position where we can then try to help people because then we'll actually be able to do it in a way that is helpful to them versus trying to help them, but they're not able to receive it because that's not the way that they receive help. Yeah. Yeah. And you're so authentic. You, um, I was listening to a podcast of yours and um, you, oh my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, you were talking about your religious upbringing and that when you went off to college, you called upon your pastor. I don't know if it's called pastor, minister, to call you every morning at like seven in the morning to read scripture with you. Why? Why uh, would you? Yeah, why would you do that? I'm just putting it out there. I, I probably know why you did it, but 
Yes. Well, I think so. My faith in general is really important to me, um, but I also have a very different kind of relationship with my faith and other people. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of religious people, they tend to push their interests or their thinking down other yeah. people's throats. And I don't find that to be very effective or very conducive to relationship building. I would much rather be somebody's friend and be in their life. And if they're interested in how I became who I became, and I have an opportunity to share with them because they're asking me, then that would be much more effective in trying Mm -hmm. to convey what I believe and what my values are. And I think a lot of the time, and this is really important in, in the conversation of transition, a lot of the times we don't equip ourselves well and so we don't know what to do next. Yeah. And, and so one example is we go to school for a very long time to be prepared to do our job. We're in a career for a while to be considered a professional. And, or some people, for example, spend a lot of time understanding how to be a parent. So then when they are a parent, they're much more set up to be a, a, a relatively knowledgeable parent. Whereas some people just kind of jump into it and they don't know what they're doing. And that's totally fine too. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but when it comes to faith, a lot of people essentially just believe what they're told and they haven't really had a lot of navigation or wrestling or do I agree or do I disagree? And it's not something that they really spend time to equip themselves with. So if you ask them why they believe what they believe, then they wouldn't know what to say. And I said to myself, if this is going to be something that's part of my life, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, that I want to make sure that I've done as much as I can do to stand behind this decision. So I'm not just saying it with empty words mm-hmm. or with a under par understanding of what it is. I'm going to do my best at trying to equip myself as best possible. Mm-hmm. So when I was in grade 12 and I was going to college, <clears throat> I was very concerned that I didn't have enough time to be involved in Uh, the scriptures or to learn things and so it's my youth pastor's job to take care of people so I literally you know I've always been a little bit of a um a a, I guess rebellious person so I'm like Uh hey you're being paid this is part of your job I can ask you to do whatever it is that because I'm in the congregation so and of, of course he was also more than happy to because when you know, usually youth pastors have kids who are not interested at all. So here mm-hmm. comes me, this annoying little kid asking me to call me <laughs> at seven in the morning. He was totally fine with it because, you know, at least it's somebody who's showing interest. Um, and we had a great year. I mean, I, I would say probably 25% of the time I was half asleep when he called me. But the other times I really, you know, got into it. And uh, granted, I also played different leadership roles and different things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a good return on investment for him. But I'm a really big believer. And if I want something, I'm going to go get it. And so I would say to anybody who's listening right now, if you want to have a healthy transition from one stage of life into another, then get the support that you need mm-hmm. in order for you to successfully be in that second category. There's nothing worse than somebody who's one foot in one and one foot in Mm -hmm, the other mm -hmm. and just letting that drag on for a long time because it doesn't do anybody else a favor. It definitely doesn't do you a favor. Right. And it's sometimes very hard for people to know how to do that. Yeah. They want to make a change, but they don't know where to go, who to go to. And, you know, a lot of people put social media down, but social media has been such a great um, catalyst for me in, in uh, connecting with other people. And I think that you have, without going down the rabbit hole, I think you have to know 
how to intentionally look for people within social media that you can align yourself with and that you know can help you and that you can reach out to them because you can always you can always private message someone you know go to their group or whatever it is and these are really there are so many solid people and solid groups solid podcasts where you can go to enrich your life and you know what that really for me the silver lining from the pandemic um, really helped me to discover social media and how mm -hmm. it could help me how it could be an aid to me so, yes yeah you've just anyway. unraveled a secret that I really want all the listeners to listen to and, and, and understand the secret, which is that all content makers love engaging with people. So if we're right now encouraging you, the listeners, to get support, then what the, the easiest thing for you to do is to reach out to Susan. Mm -hmm. is to you know listen to our podcast is to reach out to me listen to my, like yeah. anybody who's creating content we love engaging with people mm -hmm. and so a lot of times we're scratching our heads we're like i don't know who to go to mm -hmm. well if there's somebody's mm -hmm. content that resonates with you just reach out to them and you literally just share that secret and i thought it was yeah. it was it was kind of hidden so i want to make sure i i brought it back out into the open so that everybody yeah. can use the secret to enrich their lives and their connections and have the right people in their lives Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful to be aligned that way, to get that message out. You know, um, I was a churchgoer for years, and it, it's a different kind of relationship um, going to church, and especially with a pandemic, and people became a lot more isolated. And I don't know, maybe even lost the ability to, to connect with people. You know, and I think that's why there's been such a rise in in mental struggles, um, anxiety, um, and all those struggles that I see within my own family. And it's heartbreaking, you know, um, that those opportunities are there if you just grab hold of them somehow. So you keep your message out there. I'll keep my message out there. And We'll just keep it going. You have a mm -hmm. scripture on your Facebook page, which is a wonderful scripture from Ephesians, Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Why choose that scripture? There's something about the, we all have a tendency, you and I and everybody else listening right now, we all have a tendency of having our eyes within our circumstances. It's really hard to not do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times I can't see past my own situation. Mm -hmm. And that can be quite um, distressing because I, if I could only see more, then I would be able to, you know, for example, imagine if I knew that um, and this is a silly illustration because I don't really care about sports, but, you know, imagine if I um, wasn't doing well the whole game, but then at the very end, I would be able to score a lot of points and then win the game, then I wouldn't be so nervous about, or let's say, we'll change it. Let's say if, if you have a kid 
and your kid doesn't know have a, a speech impediment. Mm -hmm. But if you knew that three years later, they would have no problem talking. Then during that period of time when there's a speech impediment, then you wouldn't be so worried about it because you'd be like, oh, it's going to be okay. I can see the future. Everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But what happens when all we can see is our own circumstances mm -hmm. is that we start to overanalyze everything. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, I need to in interfere and they need help with this and they need help with that because we got to make sure that everything's going to be okay. And we do this with our own lives so much. And so one of the reasons why I do hang on to my faith is because regardless of whether we believe in God or not, there is very clearly a larger thing out there. Mm -hmm. And we can all be connected. Brene Brown actually talks about this. Uh, she talks about spirituality, not in a religious way, but in yeah. a way that we're all connected together as human beings. And us being connected spiritually means that we're all in it for something greater than just who we are. And so I really, really like that piece of scripture because it, God is able to do far more abundantly than we all we can ask or think. But most of the time, our person is so small. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if in my limitation, I am just asking God for one small thing, then I don't realize that I'm asking somebody who can do so much. And it's me that's limiting everything. Mm -hmm. And I really, I enjoy the expansiveness that I can feel when I'm connected to a higher power, mm -hmm. because if I've learned anything from my life, that anything, could, literally anything could happen. And this is a really silly illustration. I was working at Saks Avenue at one point in my life, and I really wanted to get out of retail. And I literally, um, this was the first time in my life in, in one, actually, that's not true. This was a significant time in my life where my prayers were answered far more abundantly than I can ask or think. I literally had a recruiter reach out to me. Within a week, I had an interview set up. I actually interviewed for the job. I got the, I got the job and the recruiter negotiated my salary. I got paid 30% more than what I was working in retail. And it was mm -hmm. one of, and it was a corporate job. And, and then within that short period of time, that all just landed on my lap. And that is and, something that you were wanting to happen? Yes, that's wow. right. That, that's but, great. And so in my mind, a lot of times I'm just kind of like, oh, I could I just, if I can get any job, it doesn't matter what it is, I'll be happy, I'll be okay. But what if God or the universe says, but I want you to have so much more. Why are you limiting yourself to just okay? And it doesn't mean that we're always stretching and asking for more and being greedy. No, the no, idea is just that right. the creativity, the abundance that we feel, if we resort to ourselves and trying to be abundant, that's usually not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But when we connect to things outside of us, that's when we have a higher perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have a podcast called Perspective Maintenance, because when we have a higher perspective, then we realize how much more is out mm. there. And therefore, let's say transitioning in life is that much easier. Why? Because I'm not going into something where there is not a lot for me to look forward to. I'm actually transitioning to something where there's a whole new world for me to look forward to and enjoy and embrace. And it's a different kind of life. It might be scary. It might mm -hmm. be uncomfortable. It might feel like it's the unknown. But if I'm able to have the faith and the belief that this new thing that I'm entering into could be the best possible mm. season yet, then I would be that much more glad to go through that transition. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want that in your life? Right? 
when um, 2022, you know, came around the corner, um, I don't know who I was listening to, but instead of New Year's resolutions, it was suggested that you choose a word. You have a word for the year. Yes. And my word was expansion. Wow. And I come back to that and, um, you know, it's happening, you know, you, you put yourself out there, you open yourself up. I'm willing is the phrase you want to use. You might not be ready. You might be resisting. You might be afraid, but all you have to say out loud really helps. You don't have to have anyone around. You just say, I'm willing. And you might have to say that for a long time. But you put that willingness out there to whomever is your higher power, the universe. It's whatever you are willing to do, it's going to happen. And you have to learn to see also in ways that are different than how you might have learned to see. You know what I'm saying? That sometimes we go through life, oftentimes we go through life and we're not really seeing what's happening around us, you know? And there are hidden messages and they're what I've heard called the whispers, right? And that for me is why stillness is so important. You know, I'm willing, I'm willing. Now let me be still. Mm-hmm. Let me be still. Let me meditate. Let me journal. Let me listen. So it's yeah. it's really it's also remarkable, and I love how you you spoke of all of that. Just mm-hmm. putting it out into the universe, being expansive, and then in turn, the universe brings you that which is going to make you abundant. You know. Yes. Yeah. And and that means that there is less, there's always struggle in some ways, Mm -hmm. but how can we enter into less struggle? How can, and because the struggle is really us fighting against things because we want to see a certain outcome or we want to see it at a certain time. We're so restricted in so many times because all we can do is just see right in front of us. And so we're panicky, we're hasty. We tend to not have patience we tend to not be willing to just be uh, still and silent like you're talking about. When in reality, if we can just be still and be silent, then we might be able to get a broader, expansive perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that would allow us to go through what we're going through that much easier right now. Mm -hmm. And this also circles back to inner work like you're talking about. And this really is what makes our life that much more ultimately um, enjoyable or fulfilling or clear and and more enjoyable to live yeah you know when i was um younger um raising a family and i was working full-time i was you know leaving the house to go to work all the time and the weekends would come and invariably saturday mornings would come and i would start my day crying and um i've only recently learned that the reason I cried is because I just didn't have that expand, expansive sight. Uh, I just was in this mode of surviving, right? You're surviving, you're not thriving. 
and um, and all the things, you know, I could go through my work week and be so distracted by my work and preparing and getting to work, preparing the children, getting them to school, doing all of those routines that just distract you from everything. And then you wake up, or I woke up Saturdays and I'm like faced with me. And yeah. And you know what also happens is that when you don't have that expansion, I think you don't have hope. I don't think you know what's in it for you, what's available to you. You know, is this all there is? Is this what is this all there is? So thank God, you know, you hold on, or I held on, and I got through all of that. And thank God the, the kids are growing with families of their own and they're doing well. And they gotta they gotta figure it all out now on their own. But now I can look back and say, aha, that's why I was gone. And I and these weekends, I mean, every day I can get up and feel so differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And thank God, you know, that I was brought to that place, you know. And this that is I, what also this is what makes you somebody who's so great at being able to now help other people navigate transitions because you've gone through things you can be a great mentor you can be a great coach you can be this person who helps provide perspective to somebody else because you've gone through that and now you have the insight for it mm-hmm. and i think this is really the beauty of us having being in community reaching out to different people because although we have to have certain things we have to figure certain things out we have the ability to reach out to people and ask them for their perspective and mm-hmm. ask them for their support, get their guidance, get their coaching, get their support, get their accountability to help us go through what we're going through so we don't have to go through it alone. You exactly. mentioned the harmfulness of isolation right. and isolation isn't just physical isolation, it's also emotional isolation. Mm-hmm. We feel like we have to go through it ourselves and we're not reaching out and connecting with people and, and talking about things and having a chance to express ourselves, then we can be around people all the time, but we're going to feel very, very lonely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we do have the right people to reach out to, to help us through, even if it's one other person, mm-hmm. we can feel seen, we can feel heard, we can feel understood, we can feel supported. And then we don't have to resort to feeling lost and crying and wondering if all that's all that there is and feeling hopeless. We Mm -hmm. actually are able to see at a higher vantage point, which then allows us to be like, okay, great. I'm going to get through this too. And I have something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before you got, I don't know where we're at, but before you got to this place in your life, you, you talked about being in the fashion industry. And I find that we talked a little bit about that. And I did want to talk about that because it does <clears throat> you spoke about how it does have an effect on women and mm-hmm. their, you know, um, lack of self-confidence or whatever it might be. And sure. um, if you can just touch on that a little bit about what you learned and what you can teach us about that. Well, I mean, so much of fashion is so interesting because fashion throughout history has always been some kind of expression. And so a great example of that is uh, the purple color, uh, the color purple was meant for royalty. It was a, a power, a, a sense of um, showing other people what your status was. 
Mm-hmm. The high heel was made by men for men because when horses were starting to be ridden with stirrups, you needed the heels to go into the stirrups for riding. And so if hmm. you had a pair of high heels as a man, that was the status symbol. Wow. And so all of these different things yeah. were created as a way, you know, in the 18th century, a lot of men wore, or even earlier than that, they wore frills because lace and things like that were signs of prestige that you had somebody who can create that for you. It was a sign of wealth. So men wore lacy things. And they're all things that are related to the fashion industry that were meant to be an expression of status. Uh, And then uh, unfortunately, it means also the imprisonment of how the fashion industry is used to imprison or suppress women Mm. because women needed to take certain shapes or forms in order to uh, accommodate and be in that sphere. So a really great example of that, which we talked about a little bit more, is the modern fashion industry. So before more than 200 years ago or more, people never had pre-made clothing, right? We would have fabric that we would bring to a seamstress. They would measure us. They would make something for us. We would wear it for a while, and then we would grow out of it. We would need to get something else made. Clothing was always made for the person. Mm-hmm. But now we have pre-made sizing. And so if we were to go to a store right now and not fit into something, the chances of us thinking that there's something wrong with that piece Mm -hmm. of clothing is very low. And your self-talk. I mean, I've been in dressing rooms in Marshall's is my go-to place. And I hear women who are together and they're talking and their, their talk is usually putting themselves down. Correct. If something isn't fitting right and, you know, I don't have to describe what the self-talk is because all the women listening know what that self-talk is. That's right. Yes. And so how unfortunate is that, that something that was supposed to be a system that was to be made for convenience to have pre-made sizing so that people can have faster and easier access to clothing has actually become a system of oppression where women would say to themselves there's something wrong with me and my body because I can't fit into the structure that was created when the clothing was supposed to be for the person and so how and, and then all of a sudden let's not even talk about um, status and category and people dressing and, and some things are more expensive and some things and that labels. are labels and what that means in terms of people's self-confidence because they feel like oh, I can't afford to wear this. I'm, I'm less of a person than this other person. Also, let's talk about indi- the lack of individuality. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about the, my desire to belong. Well, the fashion industry has used that to make it so that people wanted to all dress similarly or the same so that they can belong. All the cool kids would wear this. Mm-hmm. And so women also feel very similarly. If I don't have a certain image, if I don't fit into the certain style, if I don't, if I can't wear, because here's the thing, all of our bodies are different. So even if we were all the same weight, proportionally, we would all mm-hmm. be different. Some shapes would flatter us. Some styles would flatter us more than other styles. Now, if you're a woman who is born with a certain shape that is not flattering to a certain style, but that style is in trend, then you're going to feel awful about yourself because no matter how hard you try to wear that style, it just doesn't suit your body shape. And that's not your fault. And so we have all these wonderful things like trendy magazines and fashion and, and, you know, pre-made clothing, 
but how the system itself is set up against women in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. It's supposed it, it, it presents itself in a way as if it's supposed to uplift women and help women feel more natural and more mm-hmm. sexy and all these things. But in reality, it oppresses a lot more women than it helps. And so being somebody who works in the fashion industry, I saw this um, firsthand and just the damaging ways that it caused. Uh, but the thing is, nobody wants to talk about it. It's too mm. big of a system to really go up against. And so people just suffer in silence. And that's another way where women have been so, uh, oppressed in a very long time, quieted, told to not speak out, because how much of the fashion industry is really serving women? Not really. Mm-mm. which is very unfortunate. And also, let's not even talk about how much of fashion is it's men designing things for women and having no idea how the fit even would work for women because they've never been one. Mm-hmm. There are women designers out there. Do you think they're learning something different? Or yes. are they still falling into that same, that same trap? Well, I think I've the hard seen, part... I'm yes. sorry. I was going to say the hard part is the, the, the bigger system. So uh, an example would be the education system is a system. So even if they're educators who see how to do things differently and want to do things differently, the system is so mm. big that the change is so hard to make. So even if there are female desire, designers right now who want to make things and they are producing change, they're only really able to do it within their own label. The ability to actually impact a bigger system is just, it's a machine. So thankfully, we're seeing more and more people being able to speak up. There is also more social consciousness. Consumers mm-hmm. have much more buying power than there used to be. And so we're, we're, we're shifting the, um, the way things are done slowly, but surely. Slowly, yeah, I see it slowly, yeah. Just um, the more Zoptic models and the, the acceptance for size, a larger size, you know, that beauty can be associated with your size, but you have to be careful with that too, because it's not, you know, beauty is, is more than just whatever your size is. So that in itself could be a trap too, but. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. they all are. And I think that's one of the more hilarious things about cultures too. So a great example would be in the Asian culture, most women want to be as pale as possible mm-hmm. because it's the sign of beauty that mm. your skin is so natural and white and clean. It's like mm. snow. Porcelain, right? Porcelain. Whereas in the Western culture, you want to be tanned. Mm. If you're pale, then that's not attractive at all. A tanned person is that much more attractive. Mm. And so there's all these competing things also depending on culture. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes, as we become more of a global village, there's a lot of mixed messages and it's really hard to understand what is what. And this is the difficulty of all of these things. And we're seeing the change, which I'm very thankful for and that you mentioned. Um, And we have a long way to go still. Yeah, so interesting. But just as a side, when I was was a teenager, you know, 18, 19 years old, high school, um, I'm 5'10". I was 123 pounds. And I wow. wore size 12. I am now 68. I'm 160 pounds and I wear a size 10. What do you think of that? Sure. I think that they have changed the sizing. Of course. To be more appealing 
I mean, for me now to say at my age, at my weight, I can wear a size 10. I mean, other women can wear an eight or a two or whatever. And then, so I'm well aware that something has changed in the sizing to affect our psyche, to make us feel better. Sure. You think, that, you think that's true? Has that, is that something I mean, the industry has done? I mean, all the, I mean, also different labels have different sizings as well. And so yes, you might be that's in true. one brand, but then an eight and another and a 12 and another. Yeah, that's true. People are arbitrarily assigning numbers and we may say that they're just numbers, but they're not. They devastate no. people. Some right. women might be like, oh, I have to actually wear this number and this brand. That's so shameful. And that whole thing is, it's, it's a separate thing altogether. Mm. So, um, and then also not to talk about proportions, different women have different busts or different waists or different hips or different shoulders. And there's no way to just stylistically fit into a pattern, the same pattern for every person that doesn't work. I'm sure you've gone shopping most of your life and your sleeves have been too short. And yes. things yes. like that. It's just or the very, pant leg has been too short. Yes. Totally. You look like you're wearing flutter pants all the time. And it's <laughs> that you were born tall. It's actually yeah. a wonderful thing that you're born this tall. It's an expression of your beauty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so funny. How did you get into that industry? Did you learn that? I mean, we could go on and on forever, and we, we don't have forever. You've already been at it an hour and 15 minutes. This has been great. But um, my, more importantly, I think I want to know what transitioned you or what caused you to transition from that kind of work to what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. You, weren't, you weren't satisfied. There was something. Well, I that, think this is one of the, the challenges is in that when we're in the fashion industry, it's a trap in itself. Mm. There is never something that is good enough. I can save up a lot of money and buy this pair of shoes. But then tomorrow it's going to be an old pair of shoes and everybody's going to want something else. Mm-hmm. And this materialism, this chasing after more is mm-hmm. very empty. And I thankfully have been somebody who cares a little bit about the how people are, the inner workings of things and being somebody who cares more about that, that I found myself more and more disinterested mm-hmm. in the fashion mm-hmm. industry and more and more interested in spending my time coaching people and helping people and having conversations for them to be the kind of person that they want to be. Mm. And yes, dressing them outwardly. And so this is kind of the irony. I got into it because I would, so there in the beginning, I would usually I worked in men's. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, it was my way to help men because let's say they wanted to go on a date, but they didn't know how to dress themselves. So then I would help them. And then they will look in the mirror and be like, wow, I look so great. And then they will have the confidence to go on this date and just do be themselves because I was able to help them with something with their confidence. Mm -hmm. But that was a more immature and shallow realization of helping Mm -hmm. people because Mm -hmm. that was where I was at at that age. Whereas now I'm able to look at it and be like, wow, what really will help a man be much more confident in the on a date is for them to know who they are. For them to know what they value, where their boundaries are, if the other person is a good fit for them or not, therefore they're not going to be chasing after something that's not good for them mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. putting themselves in a compromising position of realizing that they're enough. Because when they realize that they're enough, then they can go into a day confident instead of going in feeling not enough and then needing the other person's validation and probably turning them off because of that. 
So there are all these things that are related to our inner work that is so much more relevant to how we help people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it back then, but mm-hmm. I, as soon as I started seeing that, it was a very clear transition for me to leave an industry that I've been in for 15 years mm-hmm. and be in a brand a new industry. Time. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, being a brand new industry, which I don't have the same connections and this and that, but once kind of like what you said, my your heart was telling you to not stay in retirement and to do all these things because that was your what would fulfill you. Ultimately, I decided that by staying predominantly in that, I would just prolong a life that was not fulfilling, whereas I could make the transition and be somebody who is already doing fulfilling things and able to build my own practice now to be able to impact more and more people as I keep going, Mm. because this is still, there's still a lot of time. That's great. So now, instead of the clothing fitting perfectly, your own skin, so to speak, fits perfectly who you are in your skin. John, this has been a great conversation and I probably could sit and talk longer. So maybe we could have a part two in in another several months or whatever. Um, But, and I I don't know if it's true that podcasts really should be no more than 45, 50 minutes, but when you have a stimulating conversation going, that's so full of good stuff. Why, why not just keep going? <laughs> it's true. I mean, there's all different forms. There's short form, there's long form. Some yeah. people go on for three hours. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it is really helpful to have um, breaks in the middle and whatnot. So if you would like to have me back, I would be honored. Um, yeah, I can also I talk it. to you for a long time. So I feel like <laughs> good conversations are um, never enough. That's right. Well, thanks, John, for doing the honor of being my guest. I really appreciate your your time and all your good all your good uh, thoughts and nuggets of gold I call them. So thank you very much. And Thanks for having me here. We'll be in touch through social media. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah for um, any listeners who want to find me on social media, I am the John Collective on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and my website is also called thejohncollective.com. So you can mm-hmm. go there to find out more about me if you like. And then my podcast is called Perspective Maintenance. Right. And I will include that when I, when I launch the podcast so everyone knows where to find you. Oh, thank you so much. Sure. I appreciate that. Sure. Okay, John, take care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon. You as well. <laughs>